0: Blob Talk Radio.
1: Intelligent. Controversial. Groundbreaking. The great liberators are coming. Hosts Amiri Brown and Kenya White take on all topics intrinsic to the black experience. No topic is too cold or too hot. Now, here are the Great Liberators, Amiri Brown and Kenya White.
2: Hey, how you doing out there? This is your host, Amiri Brown, host of the Great Liberators Radio Show. It's a Sunday night. We're coming at you live and in color with a very, uh, you know, hot and pertinent topic, and that is victimology in the black community. Victimology in the black community, and, and what we're going to be discussing tonight is uh, the victimization of both black men and black women. Um, and also, too, what we're going to be talking about is why does there tend to be this competition between black men and black women as to who has been the biggest, uh, the biggest victim. Something that that I essentially call uh, the victim the victim Olympics because something that that is prevalent on um, you know social media, particularly uh, Facebook, is um, you know this online gender war where uh, Black women will talk about the things that Black men have done that have harmed them, and Black men will talk about the things that Black women have done. That harm them, and it's it's this constant back and back and forth between the two and essentially what you have is you have a bunch of individuals who are uh jingoistic and chauvinistic and aren't willing to give any level of uh you know um, empathy and sympathy to the other side it's 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 We, we are wholly polarized. And we are wholly uh, divided as a people. And so long as that is uh, the dynamics, then, you know, we'll continue to see these things play themselves out. We'll continue to be stifled as, as a people. And in fact, what is going to uh, happen, in, in, in my view, is we're going to begin to regress. And in many ways, we, we've, um, you know, we've regressed even more. Um, because I did a video... Um, a Facebook live a couple of days ago, and I talked about the three types of black, black males that sisters tend to find acceptable. and all three of these black males are compromised. They are fundamentally compromised when it comes to, uh, when it comes to manhood. And because a lot of sisters have this internalized um, ambivalence and disrespect for black men they will attract and they will uh, seek these types of compromised black males. And then what they will do when the relationship with these compromised black males breaks down, they will then use these black males to vilify and demonize all black men. You see what I'm saying? So this is something that, that many sisters uh, and you know, in the black community, this is something that, uh, that they do. We have to realize that a lot of these patterns of uh, behavior have been set in stone and have been taking place for a long time. Some extend back as far as uh, plantation life, and others are, are more recent. We're talking maybe within the last 50 to 75 years, These, these some of these things have been playing themselves out. Um, now, the number to call is 646-564-9858. That's 646 646- Five six four nine eight five 8. I'm waiting to get my co-host in here, uh Sister April Gail Lee, she's a behavioral therapist, and then I have uh uh sister Leone, she's a she's um she's an aspiring writer. I think I have Sister Leone right right here. Let me see. Yeah, Leone.
3: Yes, I'm here.
2: Hey, how you doing?
3: I'm doing great. How are you?
2: I'm doing okay. I'm doing pretty good. I'm tired. Uh, you know, uh, it's been a, it's been it's been a com- a very compacted day with a, with the things with the things that I've had to do today. I'm realizing that I'm a very busy man. <laughs> you know, what I'm saying like this this constant back and forth, constant going. And, and I, have you have you spoke to April? Um, I don't know if she maybe was confused with the time or anything, but have you have you spoke spoke to her?
3: I think she's going to actually sit this one out. I'm not. I don't think she's unable, but, um able to call in tonight, from what I'm hearing. Okay.
2: Okay. Okay. All right. Um, that'll work. Okay. So, uh, we have um a couple of the news stories that I want to get to now. One I just have off the top of my head. Okay. You know, the late great Aretha Franklin um, passed away, yeah. and her funeral was. Was a couple of days ago, and at her funeral, um, I guess there was this young singer. um, I I, I think her name is Ariana or something like that. And there's this video, yes, circulating on (laughs) on Facebook, where this this bishop or pastor or somebody appears to be groping her um, inappropriately. Now, when I when I saw it, I think it's it's easy to get into this knee jerk visceral reaction. Um, as to as to the way he, he was groping her, it definitely looks, um, you know, it definitely looks inappropriate. Um, to me, she looked, she did look, you know, a little uncomfortable by the way he was holding her. And the thing that I was, th- I'm thinking is like, what is dude? What is going through your head? Like, wh- why would you think that you would get away with that if he was doing it on an intentional basis? I, I you know, what do you, what, what, what were some of your thoughts on that?
0: I
3: I I was trying to give him some sort of benefit of the doubt before I heard about it. Um, I heard that she performed and she did well, and then the next thing I heard is that she was uncomfortable and she was groped by a uh, pastor. So I I looked at it um, yesterday, and I just couldn't understand how he didn't know. I know he said that he didn't realize that that was her area. Mm. <laughs> um. Of privacy. Apparently, I guess he said that he hugs everyone, um, and mm-hmm. maybe since she's a little shorter, he didn't realize that that's where his hands were, but I, that was a little hard for me to believe, because it's not like the side of someone, you know, <laughs> you know, the, the, the smaller someone's mm-hmm. back feels the same way as someone's breast, so it was a little hard for me to believe he right. didn't realize, but don't you, but
2: don't you, and you know, then kind of lingered, Something. So. Right, but, but this is something I've been talking about, you know, with... Um, with women and um, just in a general, sense, a lot of women are inherently narcissistic.
0: <laughs> you
2: know what I'm saying? Because like, here's the thing: what would he gain? You know what I'm saying? What would he gain by didn't groping her side boob? I guess you could say Cause it's not like he had his hand sitting squarely on her squarely on her boob. You know what I'm saying? So what? Like what would he gain just by having this? Because to me, it looked like he was holding on the side. You know what I'm saying, and I,
3: I thought, and I, thought and, and I thought the same thing. I thought the same thing that why hmm. would he do that in, on on camera? But when I watched it, I mean, I don't know his motive. he might have just been nervous maybe, and he didn't you know hmm. I, but it's hard for me to think that he didn't realize in the act during the process. He might have been nervous as to why he didn't remove his hand because maybe he didn't want it to be noticeable, that he realized that he right. was grabbing her there. So maybe if he pulled right. back suddenly, it would have caused. Maybe he thought it would pull attention there. But at right. any rate, I, I do think he was realizing what he was doing at that moment because how do you you can't you can't mistake the smallest of someone's back versus their breast. I just don't think you can mistake those two areas.
2: Right, 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 right. Okay. Let's um, let's see. There's another story I wanted to talk about. Hold on one second. I mean, I mean, it wasn't a good look for, you know, for black men. I mean, we're already oh. seen as, you know, these sex these sexual brutes who are, you know, who are inherently, um, you know, hypersexual and are are capable of, you know, of things such as, as rape. So it, it definitely was, it wasn't a good look, you know what I'm saying, to say the least. It wasn't a good look. I agree. Um, yeah,
3: especially during the Me Too movement um, that's going on right, right. now. It's just like yeah. one extra incident to add to it.
0: And, uh, right. No. She may not even it.
3: go that route. She may not even go that route. Um, but I know that there's some mm-hmm. people that are trying to encourage her to. Right. So, right.
2: Right. We'll see. Um, right. Um, California's abolishment of cash bill. So <laughs> apparently, they um, they signed some legis some you know legislation Tuesday that, uh, you know, got rid of uh, their, cash, their cash bail system. And you know what that's going to do. You know what I'm saying? Because,
0: mm-hmm. you know, the other day
2: I was in, um, you know, I was in a probation office just going to take care of some business. And everybody in that dog place was looked just like me. They were black. And I told myself when I saw that, I said it doesn't take a genius to see what's going on here. You know what I mean? I, I was like, and you mean to tell me, The only people that's committing any type of crimes, whether we're talking about traffic crimes, whether we're talking about hardcore crimes, uh, felonies, or misdemeanors, the only people that's committing Mm -hmm. crimes is is black people. You see what I'm saying? And and so by them getting rid of this, you know, the cash bill, you know what that's that's basically doing. That's basically going to ramp up the incarceration rates. You see what I'm saying? Because we know, like, this is something... That, you know we'll have to do it do a, a separate show on and that is the you know the prison industrial complex and okay. you know how we we essentially have in this country privatized prisons where mm-hmm. uh the prisons are you know built and sponsored by these private entities and these corporate entities and where because if I'm not even mistaken prison stocks are traded on uh on the stock exchange, they yeah, are they are sense. traded on the yeah. stock exchange, it's big, it's, and the very purpose of this. What say that again?
3: No, I was just saying it's, it's definitely big business. Go ahead.
2: Right, and the purpose of the of you know the stock exchange is to make profit. You see what I'm saying? And so what that means is that we have at profit prisons operating in, operating in this country. You see what I'm saying, and so that means that there, that means that there is a direct, uh, you know, correlation between mass incarceration and the privatization of of prisons and prisons and jailing in this country, moving to a to a um, a model that is, you know, operating to make money. You see what I'm saying? So, right. and we know that. The people who are going to be disproportionately um, affected by this is poor and black people. Did yeah. you see that story?
3: Yeah, I, did. I actually did. And what I thought was interesting is that they're going to determine whether they should detain um, the individuals based on, I guess, low, medium, or high risk. And I Mm. didn't see any specific system written or noted out. So that sounds like it's going to be left up to the discretion of maybe judges or I think there's going to be affiliated agencies Um, because that was one Mm. of the biggest critiques of the bill is that there should be separate agencies, um, you know, disassociated with the the prison system. But apparently that might not be the case. So here we are. we're, We're probably in a situation where, people may be detained just based on, you know, if they feel like they they should be. Or it might affect um, people who are foreigners because they may say, you know what, if we allow them to leave, they may run. You know, they may may flee. So that's going to be a large um, effect right there. You know, I know there's a large um, Latino community in California. Um, I think that's going to be a major effect for them because they could end up detaining them just saying, you know what, they have the ability to leave at any given moment, potentially, right. you know, and it definitely right, right. can going have an effect on, you know, the um, black people as well because of the fact that they can put them uh, or associate them with the medium to high risk. And I believe the high risk, that's when they would pretty much be detained until they have a trial. So, yeah, it, right. there's definitely some concerns there. I, I think
2: mm-hmm. it's a
3: little um, ambiguous to me.
2: Um, yeah, right. And so, I mean, don't be, and and if that, if that, you know, uh, is, um, you know, extremely uh, profitable, don't be surprised if we don't see other, you know, states and legislatures, um, following that, following that model too. It's all about, it's all about the money. And when you want to look at who's oppressing and who's being oppressed, you always follow the money. You see what I'm saying? You always follow the money. Now I want to shift, you know, shift gears and get into the actual um, subject matter for tonight, and, yet, and, and that is uh, victimology in, you know, in the black community. The truth is, when we talk about uh, black people, is that we are all victims of sorts. You know, some more than others, uh, some for different reasons than others. But at the end of the day, so long as we exist and we live in a white supremacist system, we, in effect, are victims. You see what I'm saying? Um, Some of the things that – of the pathologies that tend to be prevalent within uh, black society are things like um, sexual abuse. We have sexual abuse rates of our little girls that hover somewhere around 60%. um, we have domestic violence rates intimate intimate partner violence rates that are um disproportionately high uh relative to other racial and ethnic groups um We have uh homelessness rates especially of uh, of black women that is uh you know disproportionately high and you you know they're they're climbing so we have all these different things taking place in the black community um and it's you know creating an environment of trauma we have all this uh pent up trauma that has not been that has not been released and that we have not dealt with as as a community or even as a as a collective and so uh what happens when you have that when you have this trauma that is uh you know stagnated in the black community, it begins to fester, and so when it festers, it metastasizes, and it spreads throughout uh, throughout the entire cognition of of the black community or of the black collective. You see what I'm saying? And, and and it's my feeling that this is this is where we are. And so, like you have a you have two sides. Who both exist on the extremes of the spectrum, whether we're talking about the black women and the black men who have all this uh, trauma, but are wholly set on fighting on fighting one another. You see what I'm saying? We have a lot of brothers who uh, didn't have you know stellar relationships with their mothers. Many times, some of these mothers do tend to be abusive because a lot of these mothers themselves have pent up latent you know rage for black men because they've been harmed by black men in their adult lives, and so what tends to happen is that they will project that and pass that on to the son. You see what I'm saying with the way that they with the way that they engage and interact with the son now some of that may be due to you know just the stressors and the stresses of, of, of trying to exist and function in, in, you know, everyday life in American society. But some of that, too, is coming from a a, a deep uh, psychological place. You see what I'm saying? Because a lot of these sisters themselves have been uh, harmed by black men. And so when you have that internalized uh, within within yourself, then you will – to act with, with with your son in, in in very subtle ways you know what i'm saying and you know and, and this and this tends to happen and so the, the, because the boy has now been traumatized as he goes up into life he becomes a black woman basher. you see what i'm saying like this is part of of the ecosystem of of dysfunction and disruption that pervades the black community um what's just some of your initial thoughts on the topic
3: well, um, it, it's a touchy-stop um, subject because, obviously, when you're thinking victim, you're thinking of someone that's hurt. You're thinking of someone that um, is coming from a, maybe a non-healed place. And I don't like to belittle anyone or take away mm-hmm. from what they went through nor the traumatic situation, you know. Um, so I think it's right. important that, you know, obviously, if it's something that happened recently or if it's something that's highly traumatic, it's important that mm. people understand that there is going to be a healing process and a healing phase. I just wanted to get, it, get that out of the way. Uh, but what right. I thought initially with victimhood is that that's completely different and separate from being a victim. Because obviously, right. like you said before, we're all victims to a certain degree. Society has basically set up certain situations that we have to kind of mm. more or less dig out of or live with or deal with. And so we are all, in a sense, victims. So obviously being a victim is, you know, a part of what we're going through. But being, a, being right. someone in a perpetual state of victimhood is separate. That's more of something that we see with the whole battle between the woman and the man about, you know, who's wrong and who's more to blame, as you were saying. And the thing
0: is, mm-hmm.
3: I understand that initially, you know, because there's that denial phase, that there's that anger situation that goes on but how long do we do that for and and um Hmm. how much do we do that to the point where we're going to harm our children like you said because by doing that you're just going to cause the the little girl or the little boy to start taking on that aggression Hmm. you know so my initial my initial thought with it is yes we are all victims but the sense of victimhood is something that we may be able to control we may be able to get out yeah. of that place because that does not have good long-term effects. Obviously, you know, and I think that's yeah. what's going on in our community. People are holding on to aggression long-term, and they are not necessarily. I don't. I don't. I don't want to say they don't want to get out of it because obviously, no one wants to be a victim. But I think, in a yeah. sense, it's just they're stuck, and it's almost to a point where people do not know how to get out of it because you know, just growing up in the society, all you see is negativity. You know, you see negativity, right. especially if you grow up in the hood, you know. Negativity all around. Mm-hmm. You turn on the television, it reinforces it, right? Media reinforces right. it. So you don't see a way out of it for the most part. You know, and I think that's the problem. Right. I think most people do not see a way out of it so they just swim in it. You know, they 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 just mm-hmm. deal with it and years and years roll on by and we're still in the same place. So my initial thought is that I think that sometimes when people hear victimhood, they're, they're thinking maybe someone may be belittling their situation, and that's not the case. You know, it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not coming from a judgmental perspective on being a victim or saying that you shouldn't have that moment of sadness. And obviously depression may follow depending on the severity of the situation, but it's saying, listen, you can't keep staying in that place because it's not doing you any good and it's not doing the rest of the population any good.
2: Right, right, um, e- exactly. Uh, we have a caller, caller three one four. gonna bring you on right quick. Let you make a, a, a comment. Yeah, caller.
4: What's going on, man?
2: Oh, hey, how you doing, Mister Tyanke?
4: <laughs> now Hi. you know I don't agree with when I hear you say that we all and
2: pertain uh, to African
4: Americans. <clears throat> no, okay. maybe some, right. but not all. That's being. Okay uh what do you say oppressed and so forth. And if wow. it is, I like somebody to show me where I am. <clears throat> but uh there are have you heard of this new program called uh North Campus? Uh, no, I
2: never heard of that.
4: Apparently it's about three locations and mm-hmm. uh, they pay tutors everything from fifteen to twenty dollars an hour. They locate it on West Florida. they located at uh, the Sanctuary on Redbud. Then another place is at O'Fallon Park. In O'Fallon right. Park, they deal with 9 to 12. The Sanctuary, they deal from 5 to 8 grades and the uh, mm-hmm. Learning Center there on West Florissant. uh 40 right. 28, they deal from 3 to 5. Now, this is a good program right. where children can come mm-hmm. in and be tutored and also participate in a variety of subjects, matters, and uh, right. we're talking about from what uh, three o'clock, three, four, five to seven o'clock per day. Mm-hmm. So maybe just need to have more of this sort of thing for young people in order to help them to be able to stay abreast and even make right. advancements on where they have to be educational wise, and also keeping them out of trouble, give them something to do. Right. Yes. I just wanted to add that in there. Because okay. there's a lot of people that's doing good things and not feeling the victimology. And the victimology is being instigated and uh, architected by certain groups, mm-hmm. certain individuals, and certain spokespersons. And mm. the vast majority of black people haven't heard of none of them. Anyway, I'm going to continue to listen. <laughs>
2: Okay, all right. Thanks for your thanks for your call, uh, Mister Um, He always calls up with you know with that wisdom and, and and insight. Even though me and him disagree on on if black people as a as a group or a collective are are oppressed. Now, uh, just getting back to you know to the whole victim thing. Um, part of it too is okay. We have this this myth. There's a myth that is prevalent in black society. And the myth that I'm talking about is the myth of the black superwoman, of, you know, the strong, independent, um, Sasha Fierce <laughs> caricature, right? And the reason why I'm saying that it is a myth and that it is largely mythical is because no female populace is ever desired or sought after for their strength. Their Sought after for their for their their beauty and their femininity, and so when we start talking about what do we mean when we say a strong black woman, we're talking about the black woman's uh, ability to endure abuse, to endure abuse, to endure pain, to endure suffering. You see what I'm saying, and I, and I think that a lot of sisters have bought into that, and so because they've bought in, they've bought into it. It, it puts them at, um, you know, at the beck and call of a certain demographic and a certain type of black male. You see what I'm saying? When you buy into your this myth of your own strength, then you will take on the Herculean task of trying to birth a sorry ass, inept, ineffectual black male into manhood. And unfortunately, this is what a lot of sisters do. And when they engage in these relationships and they expend all this, this energy and time trying to build this this, this, male, this male up only to fail, they then leave that relationship more, more masculine uh, than when they went into that relationship, because that process actually mas- masculinizes you. Um, they leave jaded and uh they leave they leave that relationship hurt, and it, it makes it harder for them to you know to form a connection and a bond with the next brother who he, who he himself may be uh viable and may be a good man and everything that and everything that that a woman would want and would be and would be glad to have you see what I'm saying this is part of the relationship yeah. dynamics too, and if we don't begin to unpack the psychology of of black women, then we cut ourselves off from having any type of healing too see so we can't just put it on black men that's not that is not going to work and at no time through uh you know through the great liberators radio show, have I ever suggested or intimated that that black women were innocent or that you know they were somehow uh, clear of any wrongdoing in the in these relationships. But see, when the cultural dynamic that is prevalent within American society and has been prevalent for a long time states that there is something fundamentally wrong with black men, then it allows a certain amount of cover for black women and the behaviors that they tend to engage in in their relationships that 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 undermine the relationship. And so you you will never really take a hard a hard look at yourself. Now check this out, Leon. The other day I was on um, you know I was on Cynthia G's uh, show, and we were discussing um, an episode of Ilana, um, Fix My Life where there was this young this young girl. She had six children from five different men. One of those men was a married wow. man, but come to find out, when I think when she was twelve, uh, she was gang raped. She was gang raped wow. when, when, you know, when she, when she was twelve. And see, it's it's easy for us as men, you know, right now, to look at sisters and be like, "Oh, they well, having all these different kids from everybody and all this old foolishness," without ever really understanding that even even when sisters t- engage in that, that in it in and of itself may be an expression of an unresolved trauma that took place took place in them lives. That, that set them on that trajectory of behavior. It's, it's, it's the behavior pattern that we, have, that we have to talk about. And so right. in the course of the discussion, you know, the, the issue with the married man came up. And so, you know, I said, well, look, the, there, a lot of brothers have, they themselves, been victims of sexual abuse and sexual assault at the hands of black women, too. And so when you find black men who, who are overtly promiscuous and who don't have, uh, you know, can't, don't know how to exercise penis inhibition, a lot, of they, a lot of them, too, have also been the victims of sexual assault. You see, it's, it's easy for us just to say, oh, well, no, that black, those black men doing that because that's the way niggas are, you see what I'm saying, or whatever the case is. You see, it's very, it's very easy to do that and dismiss the very real trauma and traumatic experiences that brothers go through. Like, even when we look at the stats, I'm not even sure what the stat is for, you know, black, black boys who are, um, you know, who are victims of sexual assault in the black community, but we, we understand, we know what it is for sisters. You see what right. I don't know, know the exact percentage, is. Know what it but it's not
3: much lower. I don't know the exact percentage on that, but it's not much lower than women, than girls. Right. It's not exactly. it's low, You know, people would think it would be a whole lot lower. It's not. Um, right. Because they also right. suffered trauma. So, I mean, with that situation, um, there's two mm-hmm. different things going on. Because I don't know how old she is now, but I'm assuming that she is an adult now. Correct. At this point, after yes, six children. She's an adult. Yeah, so, I mean, right. with that situation, you've got, you know, like you said, unresolved trauma um, that's going on. But at the same time, it's it's like, okay, you're now an adult and you have children. So maybe it may be beneficial to take time to heal and take a break from mm-hmm. this or, you know, even if it's just, you know, spurts of time or what have you so that you can, you know, resolve the issues, you know, something like that. Um, but what I noticed, too, is that if you call out and say, you know, she was molested or I don't know if she was raped or molested at 12, the, the whole mm. blame game comes into play, you know, where you may hear on the, the, the man side that, you know, that's an excuse. You, you know, you can't bring that up. And my thing is this, like, I don't, I don't think that um, bringing mm. up causes of a situation is necessarily letting someone off the hook because i absolutely think that as an adult she has to take most responsibility for what she's doing now okay what she's done over the years especially if she's dealing with a married man so i'm not saying that i'm excusing that but what i noticed it happens on both sides but what i noticed though is if you say listen that person was molested or or they were raped it's you know there's a lot of anger where people feel like just because you're bringing up the cause you're now saying that's the reason and they're absorbed of all, you know, blame. And that's not the case. But my thing is how are you going to resolve a situation without bringing up a cause? That's what I'm trying to figure out. You know, it's like people, people are so quick to point fingers back and forth. You're this, you're that, you're this, you're that, you know, it's been going on for years, (laughs) you know, literally years it's been going on, you know, probably from the beginning of time, but I think it's definitely turned up a notch but my thing right. is that how are we going to resolve problems in the community without dissecting what the specific problems are and the causes again exactly. i don't i don't think anyone should be let off the hook you know because as an right. adult i've been through traumatic situations i still need to Whatever karma is coming my way as a result of my decisions, I need to deal with them. So I'm not saying that. Right. But, you know, even with her being 12, and if you're saying that she has six children, she probably had a child underage, I'm assuming, correct? More more than likely. I, yeah, I think,
2: I, I, think, I think she may have had her first child at 14.
3: Okay, so look at that. You know, and, and that's the thing. It's like there's no compassion to say, okay, this woman mm-hmm. had a child at 14, I don't think people understand, especially men. I don't think men understand the trauma that you go through and just even the struggle as an adult, you know, carrying a child, mm-hmm. especially if you're going through stressful situations. A 14-year-old is probably getting criticized. She's going through puberty mm-hmm. while she's carrying a child. I mean, that's some serious right. stuff because you have to eat more. There's There's nutritional situations going on where she has to learn more about what to eat, what not to eat. She's not even eating probably well for herself, much more a baby. So um, she's probably already suffered her karma for, you know, having right. that child. You know, because a lot of people say, oh, she was probably fast. You know, I don't know the story behind it. But mm-hmm. I'm sure that criticism, yeah. criticism saying, oh, she probably suffered a lot of strain and stress already, you know. So my whole thing mm-hmm. is that, yes, you do need to say to someone, hey, six, you know, six children, think about what you're doing. But my goal more so, you know, when it comes to critiquing is to, to to find what the root cause of the problem is as opposed to saying, you know, she's a skank or she's just she's this fast or what have you. And I think that's the problem with the blame game and the whole victimhood mentality is that it's easy to stay in that place. It's just easy to stay in that place of victimhood. It's easy for the person on the outside to to basically point fingers and say, you know, you're the problem but no one actually gets down to the root cause, you know. I don't see much about the root cause. When you start talking about root causes, everyone's more or less silent.
2: Right, right. Um, You know, I I get that, but you know what? Something I have picked up on from a lot of sisters is there tends to be this dismissive um, demeanor and disposition that a lot of them will take, when when we start talking about the things that the black man has been through, you see know what I'm saying? Because black men, they themselves have uh, endured a, in, endured a, you know a lot of trauma. They've endured a, they've endured a lot of trauma, man. I mean, like some of the issues, right? That, that I think that black men tend to be tend to be vulnerable to victimization on this are uh, you know false rape accusations. You see what I'm saying? Partly because of the stereotype that has been pushed about, about um, you know, black men. I mean, when we look at mass media and the ways in which black men, they themselves have been harmed by mass media. I mean, look at the Trayvon Martin shooting, for example. Now, it's easy to, you know, just express and delineate how Trayvon Martin was a victim of, of violence at the hands of George Zimmerman but he was also the victim of propaganda. We have to realize that that Trayvon Martin himself was also the victim of propaganda and so the way that we are portrayed in the media um is is wholly important and it has real-world implications for the well-being of, you know, of black men. Now, the other day on Facebook, you know, there was this sister was talking and she mentioned something about You know, taking all around men, and and, I mean, taking all the black men, and rounding them up and getting and getting rid of them. And I said, I said, well, that means you would have to get rid of your son because you have a son. Now, when you have that embedded in your subconscious and embedded in your psychology, how do you think she's relating to her son? How do you think? How do you think she's relating to to her son? You see what I'm saying? And, and and a lot of times when these things take place, they're taking place on a subconscious level. And see, when a, when a, little, when a, when a little boy is, is hurt emotionally, for example, he's not going to express that. So if you tell him your little MF you're just like your daddy, he is not going to tell you how that hurts, If he is just going to internalize that but continue doing everything that he was doing. And this is part of the way in which some sisters break the spirit of their sons through the way that they communicate with them. You see what I'm saying? Because like I stated before, some of them may have some, have some unpacked trauma. And so, like, these things are real, and it's too easy for us just to dismiss those things category, categorically out of hand. I mean, it's easy for us to talk about the violence that black men tend, tend to be victims of at the hands of white supremacists or at the hands of even, you know, even each other or even, you know, these extrajudicious police killings. But these other um you know modes of trauma, which are much more subtle and beneath the surface, need to, need to be talked about and need to be examined because it uh it creates a, a cycle it creates a cycle because men like that, and it's something I stated too, strong women are going to attract weak men, and so what what, what, what tends to end up happening is now you have. The narcissist flying monkey dynamic taking place, where each serves as an enabler of the other's dysfunction. You see what I'm saying? It's very, it's very much, um, you know, symbiotic. It's very much a symbiotic um, relationship where uh, each, each of them are invested in tolerating the other's dysfunction because they feed off of it and need it. You see what I'm saying? So, they, so for for them in order for them to to you know to participate in their dysfunction, and that goes back to the you know to the original statement I made when I talked about the three types of men that sisters will go after because on just on a, a subconscious level they have this latent pathological disrespect for black men. You see what I'm saying? Like I was having a discussion earlier today with a sister on you know on Facebook, and we were talking about submission and. You know, I was I was trying to tell her that what we, you know, submission is not some Eurocentric European um, European concept. If we start talking about cooperation, if we start talking about compromise, that's what we're talking about. All those things are forms of submission. They're forms. They're forms of submission. And so, in the course of of our discussion, you know, she was talking about well, what have black men done? Black men haven't done this. Black men have never protected. You know what I'm saying? And I said, do you realize that the largest expansion of wealth that has ever taken place, which took place between the 1940s and, uh, let's say, the 1970s, just the you know, around about time period, that expansion of wealth was, was paid for by the blood of black men who went and fought and died overseas in World War One, World War Two, the Korean War, the Vietnam War. You see what I'm saying? And so that's what I was telling her. It is it is wholly disrespectful and demeaning to the to to the legacy of many of, of great black men who made the ultimate sacrifice just just so you could come. And be in America and and, and, and and enjoy the amenities of American life, so so you can then say, Well, I'm a strong independent woman. If those brothers wouldn't have been over there doing that, who's to say you would be in a position to do what you are doing today? You see what I'm saying? Sure. Like like just think just think of that psychology, but that is the type of demeanor and disposition that a lot of these jingoistic black women will take in an effort to dismiss uh categorically any idea or concept of being compliant and uh, empathetic to the struggle that black men do have, which is a very real struggle.
0: Yeah,
3: and and what you were saying about, um, you know, son being, you know, in a, in a sense abused, I mean, it's a strong word, but mm-hmm. there are men, you know, that grew up, with abusive mothers, especially if the mother wasn't, you know, happy or she was under a lot of stress, and it right. took a toll in the long term. I mean, I know people do not like to say or talk about that because when you think of the mo- the mother, you're thinking of the nurturer. A lot of women are under extreme conditions right now, especially if the child comes out looking like, you know, the father. <laughs> you know, that's a problem. Mm. You know, to to many women, even though it's not admitted, and and th- that causes a lot of times the sons to grow up to be men and they feel and they internalize that situation that other women are like that. They're thinking, okay, she looks like my mom. So she's probably like that. Or she sounds like my mom. Cause remember there's, we, we have culture in different areas. We, we, the mannerisms may be similar, um, the features the mm. may be similar, so automatically he's attaching the the, the culturalism of, of how his mom was to this woman that he's meeting, and he automatically thinks off top. Oh man, if she became, you know, the child of my uh, my my children, she's going to teach, mm-hmm. treat my children like how my mother treated me. And I think yeah. we overlook that concept because of the fact that the man is supposed to be the stronger, you know, party and he's supposed to get over things a lot sooner, but like you said, that's not no- normally the case because what happens is that um, a lot of times little boys don't don't say when there's a problem. They don't. They, exactly. they, they have a tendency exactly. to feel like they want to protect their mom from stress. They have a tendency to feel like they need to be the bigger person um, and, and they can handle it, you know, because even with me, I have, mm. uh, I have boys and I ask them all the time, like, what's wrong? Is anything going on? And, It takes a while sometimes. Sometimes it takes a one-on-one where I just go out with one at a time and we go and hang out for the day, and then finally they may say certain things like this, or this may have happened, or this may have happened. Whatever the case may be, boys do not open up like that. And, and again, a lot of times they're trying to protect their mother. So I think that we do need to definitely unpack that and get to the bottom Mm -hmm. of where a lot of this aggression is coming from. And we can't just say because he looks strong or he sounds strong that he does not have, you know, inner hurt. Because a lot of times these men do, you know, and and that's the thing, you know, adding to, you know, the whole situation by saying to round them up and kill them. That's just, that's just reinforcing what they already think. And I'm not saying to, you know, again, I'm not one of those that says, you know, someone does something. They should be let off i'm not that type of person i feel like if you do something you do you do need to pay for what you've done that that being said we can't pretend like men out here weren't sexually abused or they weren't physically abused or they weren't neglected or they weren't talked yeah. down to that's just not that's just not fair That's not fair. I've seen it with my own eye. You know, I I remember Mm -hmm. um, even as a young adult seeing a woman strung out on crack. You know, this is something that we tend to ignore as well, the situation with the crack epidemic. That's very real. And just seeing her little son just wandering out, beautiful little child, like probably maybe three, four years old, wandering outside clearly uncared for. I don't think she knew if he was outside or if he wasn't outside. And I think that sometimes as women, we forget that some of these little boys were in that situation. They were there, you right. know? just like we were there. They were there. They may not have been, you know, they might have been visibly showing their pain. So you may think, okay, well, he's fine. He's good. Mm-hmm. You know, he's making jokes. He's acting like he's, you know, everything's all good and everything's all in order. But meanwhile, he didn't deal with his trauma either. You know, right. so yeah, that's a very, exactly. very true statement. And we do need to address it
2: right you know and it's the it's the you know the post traumatic uh slave disorder um and you know just the epigenetics of how uh you know these things are you know are passed down excuse me, you know what i'm saying um you know it's a, it's 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 definitely uh you know helping to create um a toxic environment especially for, you know, for the up-and-coming generations, too. Like, I, I I always tell people, just think about what the nature and the complexion of black male-female relationships will look like 30 years from now. I mean, there's no reason for us to assume that it's going to be better than what it is as it stands right now. If anything, we know that, you know, that, that it's going to get worse. We know that it's, that it's going to get worse. You see what I'm saying? Um, we have a lot of, um, you know, mental illness in the black community. And it's it's so normalized that we don't even see anything wrong with it. You know what I'm saying? Like with a, with a lot of the mental illness that exists in, in, in the black community, whether we're talking about schizophrenia, uh, whether we're talking about, um, you know, bi- being bipolar, you know what I'm saying, all these different things. And we'll speak about them in very you know, uh, um, you know, uh, facetious ways, you know, making light of them, but these things are, are are serious. I mean, and this is something that, you know, Thomas Sotomayor tends to specialize in. He'll always play, like, all these different videos of, you know, sisters harming their own children. You see what I'm saying? But are we talking about, the catalyst for their behavior are we talking about their mental state? are we talking about uh sisters who might be who might be suffering from postpartum depression? you see what I'm saying? like I remember years ago when I first started hearing the term I think it was it was with that uh I can't remember that name of the lady she was a white lady andrea something andrea yates, and she she drowned all her children in the tub, and that's when I first you know, started hearing you know postpartum depression, and I was like, man, that's just some bullshit. You know, that white lady did that. You know what I'm saying? But but now, as I think about it and I look back on it, that is a very that is a very real psychological uh, condition. You see what I'm saying? Like, and and this is something I said too the other day, uh, Leonie. I said, you know, as a people, we are heavily medicated. We are medicated. We're not a clear thinking. Uh, forthright thinking people right now because we are so medicated. We medicate ourselves with substance abuse. We medicate ourselves with, with sex. Um, we medicate ourselves with violence. You see what I'm saying? All of these things are forms of us medicating ourselves away from the reality of uh, white supremacy and how and how that affects us on a macro level and then, more on a micro level, in our interpersonal dynamics and in our personal lives, you know, we're we're running away from the reality of our traumas. You see what I'm saying? And so, uh, you know, as I've been trying to 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 say and trying to do is that we need we need a cultural shift, uh, and 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 part of that culture would be one of healing. We need a, there's a lot of healing that has to take place. In the black community, um, I, you know, we even did a show with Veronica Conway, and she's very good. You know, she's very good on this stuff. And I think the name of that, the title of that show is, is is Black Love Dead. You see what I'm saying? And so, like, these things are, uh, you know, are are very real and they're highly damaging. Well, uh, what's some like just from your view and your perspective, right? What are some of the other ways in which Black women tend to be victims, just coming from a black you know female perspective. Just tell me how does it feel uh being a black woman in American society and being labeled with with the burdens of of those of those stereotypes that are you know that are that are placed on you as a black woman
3: yeah, well, I mean it's every day for me you know because i I work in the corporate field and um, mm. I hear stereotypes all the time, you know. I I mm. and I work with certain people that are fairly wealthy, and sometimes the whole welfare argument comes up from time to time,
0: mm. you know,
3: indiscreetly. But it seems to be something that is, is being bounced off, maybe to see if I could respond to certain things. Like I'm the spokesperson. That's something that I think that we have to deal with, as you know, right. you know, women. in in this culture is that we're the spokesperson for the whole black community. (laughs) You know, they're they're wanting to know, is that the the situation? Why, you know, why is it that people, you know, the women are on welfare and, you know, and it's like Mm -hmm. that's a stress in and of itself because, you know, obviously with the whole welfare situation, black women are not the, the main ones that are on the welfare, you know, um, right. Whether it 's by population or percentage, you know so those those conversations mm-hmm. come up sometimes, but then you then you're also in the workplace, so you don't want to start a brawl you know so you have that right. stress that's right. going on you, you know you, you, where where it feels like you're always trying to um, defend you know your your community you know and that 's a real thing. I think a lot of people don't realize that because especially if they feel that like mm-hmm. you're approachable those things get eased on in the conversation, you know. Um, right. I hear different topics about black men from time to time, you know, by by mm. white women and, and white men. It comes up from time to time about, why, do, you know, why do black men do this and why do black men, you know. So if you're saying from an everyday point of view, it's very real. It's very real. That's why it's hard for me to believe when, you know, like the gentleman that called in earlier, um, I, would, I would love to hear more about his perspective, but when he says that we're not victims, I would I would disagree with that. Does that necessarily mean mm-hmm. that you're, you're fighting for dear life on a day-to-day basis? You know, um, maybe not in a physical aspect, but psychologically I can say that that's possible, you know, especially if you have to be around certain people that are, you know, maybe not um, informed or maybe certain people that are just blatantly racist. You know, that's just reality. And on top of that, you are you have to deal with, you know, outside communities judging you. And then on top of that, you have to deal with your very men judging you. You know, I've had right. men straight tell me, like, I don't trust you. you you're you a black woman. I don't trust you. I've heard men say that, you know, straight mm. up. And I'm like, really? Like, what? Like, and, and it kind of blew my mind. And I've
0: seen the, the
3: yeah, this is real. This is real. Mm. I've seen, right. you know, different scenarios where men treated other women a certain way and, it's not because she did anything, said anything, um just because of what she looked like. Maybe she reminded him yeah. of her you know of his mother so when when you say um the day to day victim um mentality, you can pick that up very easily because it becomes a day to day thing like you're for me i'm I'm more or less like I know who I am i know I, i'm I'm above and beyond it, but I can understand that if someone is not healed. And they're already feeling, um, you know, like they're in a state of depression. And you go out in the everyday world, especially if you work in corporate America, like I said, you are mm-hmm. definitely um, more likely to become, a, you know, a, a person in a victimhood mm-hmm. mentality. Because as I was saying earlier, being a victim is different from actual victimhood. Because victimhood means that you're li- literally in a state or a position where it becomes normal practice for you, where you feel like you're constantly right. having to defend yourself, or you constantly mm. have to say, oh, this happened because of this, or this happened because of that. You know, I'm to the point right. where I just ignore people if I need to. <laughs> you know, unless mm. I feel like it's necessary, or I put people in their place and right. I move on with life. You know what I mean? It doesn't slow my day down. Mm. But in reality, it's there and it's real. So, yeah, that, right. it's something that it plays out um, consistently you know, and Mm -hmm. and it can definitely be disheartening, and it can definitely take a toll. Like you said earlier with mental illness, it can take a toll on a lot of people, you know, and and a lot of things, when it comes to mental illness, it's not something that happens overnight, you know, it's something that Mm -hmm. builds up over time, and especially within our community, we don't like to talk about it. We don't like to say, hey, are you okay? I ask people, "Are, are they okay? All the time. They probably can't stand me, but I've seen people throughout my life literally go out of their minds, like literally go out of their minds mm-hmm. because of the strain and the stress. Yeah, the strain and the stress, of unresolved right. trauma, and just going through everyday life, and especially if you introduce children into the mix, I've seen women mm-hmm. with my own eyes literally, you know, get to the point where they've lost mental capacity. You know, so right. yeah, it's a very real thing. I'm I'm glad we um, asked that because it's it's the reality that we're living in. You know,
2: right, right. Um, you know, yeah, you know, you're you're uh, you're absolutely right, you're absolutely right. Um, the number to call in is six four six five six four nine eight five eight. That's six four six five six four nine eight five eight. Um, I guess the next obvious thing that we would need to talk about on this topic, uh, Sister Leone, is, um, you know, ways in which we can begin to, you know, to help each other heal from, you know, from our traumas. I think the first thing, the first step is in identifying the catalyst for, you know, for trauma, the catalyst for, uh, you know, the pain and the suffering that many of us, do endure and experience. And so just coming from the black male perspective, I will give you a rundown of what it is like, um, you know, existing and operating in American society. And this is something I talked about too. It is almost like being, you know, a caged beast or some type of caged animal. You see what I'm saying? See, we have to understand something. The allure of seeing a lion uh, at a circus being made to do, you know, out of his natural element, being made to do tricks and to perform for the crowd is in the fact that we have taken this great majestic animal, the so-called king of the jungle, and we have relegated him down um, we have relegated them down to this. You see what I'm saying? This is what we have relegated them down to. Um, and this is almost how it feels, you know, um, as a black man in American society. You see what I'm saying? Uh, I think, like, like just think about when you see, you know, brothers playing football, playing basketball. We already know what the physical capabilities and prowess is of of the black man. You see what I'm saying? So there is something that everyone gets when they can see a see a black man made to be a spectacle, like Alton Sterling. You see what I'm saying? Like in white society, that's the thing. It's almost like when you know when they kill, when it when like when they get a good a good kill, they sit there and pose with it. You see what I'm saying? Like this is almost how it feels coming just coming from the black male perspective. And the truth is is that you have some sisters who get off on that too. And this is where we get, get into it with the, black, the so-called black feminist. See, because a lot of these sisters who wear the moniker of black feminists, they aren't feminists. They're not feminist they are not pro black women. You see what I'm saying? They, these women are not pro-black women. They are black female chauvinists and jingoists, and they get off on being able to exert a certain level of control and dominance over black men. You see what I'm saying? And so because of the stereotypes about black men and because we know that the price of our life is so cheap within American society, we we know that there is a certain way we must operate and behave. You know what I'm saying? so we know when we get, you know, get pulled over by police, there's a certain type of way we need to operate and behave if we want to make it out of that situation. You see what I'm saying? And these people who have this sense of authority and power over us they know that they can poke us and they can prod us uh, uh, trying to uh, trying to elicit a response and for many black men if if we show any type of uh any type of emotion it 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 automatically um you know um devalues our sense of manhood you see what I'm saying? So if we show, you know, if a, if a black man cries or he shows any types of sadness or any type of sorrow, you know, for, for his reality in the, state, in the state that he is in or, if any, or anything, he will, be, he will be called emotional, he will be called gay, he will be called weak, he will be called feminine. And then on the other end of that, if he expresses any level of, of anger, then he is automatically seen as a menacing brute who is inherently violent and must be taken down. And in relationships, in our relationships, you have many sisters who use that to their advantage. I've heard many stories from brothers who were the victims of the domestic abuse, and the woman called the police, and he went to jail. You see what I'm saying? So we cannot act like these things aren't real. We cannot act like that this isn't part of um, you know, the reality of black men in American society. In American society as black men, we are not seen as victims first. We are seen as victimizers first. You see what I'm saying? And this speaks to the brute caricature. I mean, look at the movies that have been portrayed uh, you know in in mass media about black men by and large. Like all of these all of these so-called black cinema movies. They either show black men as being violent, they show them as or it shows them as being inept, stupid, or weak. We, as black as black men, we don't have a chance to see ourselves as being valiant, as having the integrity of being powerful like Superman. Like we don't have that. You see what I'm saying? So you have a you have a bunch of black boys who grow up only seeing and hearing the most negative things about themselves. And so they internalize that and they bring that with them into manhood. You see what I'm saying? They bring that with them into adulthood. And many of, and, and many of our brothers are psychologically demanding. See, all of these things are a part of the demanding process of black, of black men. You see what I'm saying? And then when we couple that with the fact that we don't have any rights of passage, we don't have any rights of passage for, for black boys or for black males to drink to, to transition into manhood, then that further compounds it. See, because the very purpose of the rites of passage of manhood was to instill within that male child and that black boy the lessons that he would need as a black man in order to exist and to thrive in a hostile environment. You see what I'm saying? And so right. we don't have that. So so a lot of these boys, a lot of these brothers don't have the psychological fortitude that it takes to operate in a white supremacist system where they are constantly targeted. You see what I'm saying? And this reality manifests itself in various ways. Even when we look at, uh, you know, the mass incarceration rates, you see, there is... A scientific discipline when we start talking about uh, understanding sexuality and and what orients sexuality you see what I'm saying because the way you see yourself se- sexually is a part of socialization too and there's a study by a German scientist I can't think of his name but he concluded through a study that the gender iso- gender isolation can cause and ha- and does cause homosexuality. You see what I'm saying? Like it, 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 there's a, there's a direct link and correlation to that. And so when we start talking about mass incarceration, mass incarceration actually serves to feminize uh you know, black men in in twofold in two ways. First as the black boy, the black child who's only Gender role he has to follow is his mother. you see what I'm saying and then when we couple that with the fact that the mother is oftentimes the standard of strength in his life, he boys will automatically and naturally be inclined to mimic that because strength is a masculine is a part of the masculine masculinity is a, is a strength dynamic, so the boys will be, the boys will begin to emulate the only standard of uh, strength that they see so that mean that, that if you have two things I mean either the boy is going to mimic and imitate the black woman or he's going to mimic and imitate the white man you see what I'm saying so that's one part of the way in which we are victimized by mass incarceration now the second part that of which we are in, victimized by mass incarceration is when, we, is when we get into these prisons you see what I'm saying because when brothers go to these prisons they, they don't stop being sexual beings. They don't stop having sexual urges. And so right. they are gender isolated. You see what I'm saying? And so you have brothers who, you know, who, who will begin to, you know, engage in anal sex with other men in order to uh, satiate that, that urge. You see what I'm saying? So these things are real. And these are the ways in which the system itself produces uh, the victimization of black men. It produces um, the ineptness of black men. It produces the the uh, the psychological demeaning of black men. And we have to understand that. And we can't just dismiss these things on a categorical basis as just being excuses for why black men are in the condition that they're in. These things are very real.
3: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And. A lot of the times when a child is molested or, you know, a a, a woman is is molested or or raped or what have you, some of these men have, you know, background of being incarcerated, you know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, it's not that it's an excuse. They did make that decision to do whatever harm they caused. But if we're going to try to solve the problem long term, we need to look at what happened that might have caused this person to feel like it's okay to do whatever they did, you know, we need to look at that. We can't say, okay, well, you know, we can't focus so much on the fact that he's an evil person. Yes, we, you know, that might be the case, but what might have led up to that, you know, and and that's very important. And I think that's one Mm -hmm. thing that a certain sector of feminists um, ignore, you know, and I've always wondered about that. It's like, you know, the whole victimhood, situation is saying okay you know you know women are taking advantage of yes I agree you know I'm a woman I, I've, I've had experiences where I felt like okay maybe I should be getting paid more for whatever the so the, you know the situation or job was or I, I kind of feel like maybe someone's trying to you know undermine me I've, I've had those experiences so I understand but at the same time mm-hmm. if we're thinking about you know propping up a situation where women are in a better position why are we not looking at what's going on? with men and what's causing them to maybe act out a certain way. Why are we not implementing programs where we might have maybe after school programs for little boys or mm-hmm. we may have some sort of situation where little boys can have something to look up to or work towards, even as a feminist. I never right. understood how do you isolate the boys out of your situation? Like how, are, how do you claim right. to be a feminist and you're only protecting the girls and the women is if the boys don't need protection as well or they don't need upliftment as well because they're going to become men one day. They become men that are toxic. Aren't they going to impact what you're doing in your whole movement? I've never understood that. So when you say those things and you break down, you know, the situation with the little boy growing up with only his mother and him emulating her and then being in a situation where he maybe a lot of times with boys, once they get to a certain age, Mm -hmm. they start hustling, you know, trying to provide for the family – because of the fact that their father wasn't there or what have you, these are things that lead up to toxic behavior, you know, and it's so easy to look at the man and say, okay, he's evil. Like I said, which may be the case. Maybe he got down to that point. But why? Why are we not examining what caused it? That's the first problem here, Mm. that we are not identifying the problem. We need to identify the problem in order to get out of the victimhood the victimhood mentality if we if we don't if we don't start to dissect what the problem is we are going to stay in that state because all we're doing is just recycling the same thoughts and feelings over and over and over again it becomes habitual you know we we don't want to move on beyond that because again society fosters the state of victimhood you know what i mean but that's basically what we've been shown from the time that we came up till now is that we are victims and we stay in that that situation so we need to right. start to identify the problem. And I think the next step is also is just, is being honest and, and realizing what kind of trauma you did suffer from and working to resolve it. You know, maybe some people may need to seek help, or maybe some people may need to isolate themselves from from relationships. I, I've always – right. and I get a lot of women that get mad at me for it. You know, they're like, oh, why should I suffer? Why should I, you know, neglect myself? And I, I, I need, you know, I, I, I want – a a sexual partner, Mike. so I understand all of that. But my whole thing is that Mm -hmm. you cannot believe that you're going to get into a better position and a better state of mind by not dealing and healing with situation. The same thing goes for men. You have to Mm -hmm. deal with that situation. You have to deal with that trauma. You have to heal yourself. That is the only way, because if you do not, you're Mm going to continue to hurt other people and hurt yourself. You know? So I think that's important is to, like you said, identify the problem and then work out a long-term plan where you are mm-hmm. literally isolating time out of the day, out of the week, out of the month to work on yourself. That's it. I don't know. People put work into their cars. People put work into their hair. People put work into all these things that we see on the outside, but they put no work to their inside. They put no work into their psychological trauma how you gonna get better with no no work on yourself i'm someone has to explain that right (laughs) like I Mm. I, i've I've never seen it the people that i've met that have been through some large obstacles they took time out that's what it was maybe even Mm. maybe made it taken four months they may have taken six months that's the problem a lot of people have been through some hardships but they've never isolated time out to really work on themselves. Why? Why? This is what right. I'm trying to understand. They're going to stay in a, a status of victimhood until they do that.
2: Right. You know that's um. You know that's all great points that you you know that you brought up. Um. The next thing that I that I would just want to touch on uh, when we talk about you know the, the victimology is uh you know the the violence the violence that tends to be present um you know in the, in the black community and i and i hate to i'd hate to you know mention this uh I'm, it's not my intention to you know stigmatize uh an entire city or demographic of of black people but I'm talking about chicago um we know that the violence in chicago is uh is rampant it's not something that is new um it's a it's a very old you know dynamic but um, I think I saw one, you know, one news story where they said that many people or many boys within, uh, you know, with, within Chicago suffer from PTSD just from uh, all the violence that, that tends to be prevalent there. You see what I'm saying? And so that's something that we have to, we have to deal with, too, the patterns, the patterns of violence that have been ingrained uh, within the psychology of black people just in a general sense but more specifically in, in ingraining the conscience of, uh, of black men. I mean, we have to be honest that we romanticize violence as a culture. I mean, some of the sickest, you know, freestyles and rap bars are laden with violence. You see what I'm saying? They're laced with, uh, you, you know, with, with violence. And this is something I say that there is not another nigga on the planet more, uh more, uh, disagreeing, I mean, not not disagreeing, I'm sorry, more vile than a nigga that disagrees with you on Facebook or social media. The moment you have a disagreement with somebody on Facebook or social media or anything like that, another black person, all of a sudden they turn into super goon or super goonette. You see what I'm saying? They, you know, they'll do X, Y, and Z, and they got goons on top of goons. All they got to do is make a phone call and they're going to put up and all this other crap. You see what I'm saying? Like we have to be, we have to be real, real about that. We have to be real about that, uh, and, and, and how prevalent it is, um, you know, in, in the black community. Like I remember coming up, and just like in my community, and you know, the violence was a part of everyday life. Like I've seen people, you know, gunned down right there, like right in front of me, as a 13 or 14 year old boy. You see what I'm saying? So, it, so like these things are, are are real, man. Like they are real, and they have real world consequences and implications. Caller six three zero. You're on the line. I'm bringing you on right quick. I don't know who this is. Hold on one second. Yeah, caller.
1: Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me?
2: Yeah. Oh, this is Remy. How you doing, Remy?
1: Hey, I'm doing good. How are you guys?
2: Hey, mommy. Well, we, we, you know we we're doing we're doing pretty good. Um, you know we're just talking about you know the the victimization in the black community. Um, we're talking about the very real ways in which black men and black women are victims and and and, and suffer victimization. But also too, what we're talking about is this uh, victim. Competition, you know what I'm saying? Like the black community's next top victim, like that's almost saying like that's what it is, you know what I'm saying? Where you know we try and one up each other when it comes to our own victimization. Like, no, see, I'm a bigger victim, see, because the white man is always <laughs> keeping me out the job market. You see, you know what I'm saying? So we're the bigger victim, sisters. You know what I'm saying? Like that bullshit. You know, um,
1: <laughs>
2: uh, what's some of your what's some of your initial thoughts on it, man?
1: Um, I would say on that, um, as far as, you know, victimhood in our community, I mean, at the end of the day, equally, we are all victims. Each and every Mm. one of us, we're all a victim of something, and it doesn't always have to be the same type of situation in order for you to be a victim. Like, Mm. I mean, men men are victims of some things, women are victims of some things, and then We're all victims together and, you know, other issues. So I just really think that we all need to come together with an understanding that no one's hurt is bigger than the next person. And we all need to approach each other with love and also an open heart and also be honest with each other about what is it that, you know, is the problem with, us as black people in general, but also, you know, with these gender wars, because, you know, Facebook Mm is always some type of war in regards to who hurt who, who did what, and, I mean, it's just counterproductive. So I really think that everybody needs to take a step back, and we all need to talk to each other to understand each other, rather than talk to each other to rebut each other.
2: Right, but you know what that's that's something i like I, I stated and that I talked about, um, and that was you know do black women have the capacity to relate to black men outside of sex you know what i'm saying and and in my opinion, it seems like there's a there's a there's a wall there like when we start you know talking about the very real ways in which black men are harmed um and mm-hmm. also when we start talking about the challenges that we face as black men it seems to me like that like some sisters will shut off from that. You know what I'm saying? Like they will automatically like, you know, tune tune that part out. You see what I'm saying? And and that actually does, you know, a disservice to to both of us because so long as that is the reality, we won't be able to form any type of consensus or have or have common ground. You see what I'm saying? Now just you know, regarding regarding what I was talking about a few minutes ago with you know with Chicago and the violence in Chicago. Um, correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong with me, but you're one of those who are of the mind that uh, some of that violence is overinflated and may even be being perpetrated by uh, by other subversive groups, um, you know, in the area that are looking to undermine um, undermine the black community. It, would I be correct in, in that assessment of your position on the violence in Chicago?
3: Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I think it's, there's definitely a hand in the situation in Chicago. Um, as there's a hand in many, um, you know, areas of poverty. It's not anything brand new, um, and I think Chicago, with the escalated uh, situations of violence, I think that there's a, there's more so um, an opportunity for people that may want to. Uh, basically, benefit from the violence. They—it's mm-hmm. a very strong possibility that they're—they're they're making additional setups. And I think there was also—wasn't um, there some sort of truck that was set up as well? That I'm hearing. No, about yeah, like that, that. Had a big yeah. truck, yeah, something Nike like truck. that. Yeah. So to mm-hmm. me, it's right. like that's a perfect example. I mean that that there's other yeah, situations Yeah, right. That, going was, on that was that was
2: entrapment way. all day long, man. That was. Yeah. that was entrapment you know what i'm saying like yeah, why so, wouldn't I mean, you go to the to the white community yeah. and
4: <laughs>
2: right like and why would you go to the white community and have a bait truck like why would you why would you right. uh, like that is targeted that is so that that is you know what i'm saying
1: uh uh mm-hmm. well, that would violate
2: several several different constitutional amendments go ahead
1: What I get from it is that, you know, a lot of people, like I say, I always come from a place of, you know, understanding and looking at, you know, different perspectives in regards to what is going on in Chicago. I really think that, you know, with all the gentrification that is going on um, in the cities and how they are buying up all of these properties at wholesale value Mm -hmm. and they're fixing up these properties making, you know, making those, you know, those most violent areas look, you know, really nice to attract, you know, certain Mm -hmm. types of people back into those areas. It really speaks to the fact that I feel like, yeah, they are overinflating, you know, the um, rates and the amount of the violence that is going on in Chicago. I don't Mm -hmm. really think that it's all, it's only our people. I've been hearing stories about, How you know guys are finding trunk full of guns in alleys? Just a trunk full of guns. Like why would how how and why would you find you know those weapons in your neighborhood? Because of course somebody would have had them by now. But like all all the weird things that you know I've been hearing um, about, you know what is going on in Chicago. I just feel like. A lot of people really do not have a good understanding on what really is going on unless you're actually there experiencing it for yourself. Right. right. Um, hold on. I call actually call call have a, well. I have Cynthia
2: oh. right here, guys. I'm going to bring her on right there. Okay. Oh. Sure. Okay. Yes, yeah, Cynthia? Hey. Hello. Hey, how you doing?
5: <laughs> good. I was just kind of listening in. <laughs> um right i it, it's a it's a lot to unpack um but but i do
2: right.
5: you know the thing of it is this when i when I started doing the youtube thing i I did it because i i initially felt like black people were um the victims in society and then you know, as I got through it, I start seeing that Black people also contribute to their own victim pathology to a great extent, and I mm. think that that's why outside of the Black community, nobody really sees Black people as victims, and quite frankly, um, I believe that they don't. people don't have a reason to, and, and I know that's probably not going to be anything this popular, but I'm noticing that a lot of things that Black people complain about, they also contribute to, so it's like, how mm. are you a victim? if you're contributing to your victimization then do you become part victim mm. part victimizer because like <laughs> there's so many things like you know the complaining about white supremacy but dating and mating upon white supremacists and having an unwillingness mm. to unite you know Defending the oppressors, and the, like you can't logically think that if you're a victim, that defending your victimizer is going to help you to not become a victim. <laughs> you know, right. I, I think that there's right. too many things that we do. You know, I look at a victim as somebody that's completely powerless. Um, and right. the and thing of it is, black people are not powerless. So at this point, if black people are victims, it is because they choose to be victims. And mm. and and I hate to, I really hate to have to say that, but the stuff that I'm seeing, you know, the contradictories that that we constantly engage in, just like how me, you, and Cheryl were discussing, you know, how you have with this Ariana Grande situation, black women mm. complaining about sexual assault, but then simultaneously defending sexual assault, saying, well, she shouldn't have wore that dress. Well. She was trying to get right. attention because that was too short, you know, or the, the fact that you have black men being the face of sexual assault, but always putting themselves in situations with white women to be accused of sexual assault, just like with the mm-hmm. pastor. You're in the midst right. of the Me Too movement. You know that black men are exactly. the face of it, but you're over here groping this white woman's pity on national television.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, know, right. you know, it just I mean, you, doesn't...
5: How can we right. call it I mean, ourselves a victim when we're doing it? Like we're yeah. doing it. I mean, and then you, yeah. you see you a, a group of... Because I agree with you that black women, for the most part, they aren't able to... Um, relate to black men outside of sex. I think for the for the black for the most part, and and I think they make that mm-hmm. very difficult because again, it's just about what are you doing to make yourself be a victim. We understand because victimology is seen different when it's present in women than it is in men. Men generally wow. are not seen as victims because they possess physical force, and as black men being the the most physically capable group of men on the on the planet. When you look at their situation and their circumstances and what they're doing to change this victimology when they possess the power, because contrary to back in the day, you have black men with an extreme amount of wealth and influence. So if you're still in a victim situation, it's like how much of that is because you want to be in that situation? Because now you have Mm -hmm. everything you need to change it to not be a victim but you're still in the same situation, and that means it's because of something that you're either doing to keep yourself in, in that position or you're not doing to get yourself out of it. And I think that when black yeah. women see that, when we look at, you know, black men are mass incarcerated the most, when we see that they are locked out of the, you know, we understand black men's plight, but we also see them fighting for nothing more, aggressively, for nothing more than being with white women, the ones who are contributing <laughs> to their plight.
0: Yeah. Right. So I mean, I mean you, you know,
2: you're absolutely right. <laughs> I mean, but you know what? Do you think that a certain level of this is, um, you know, what we would call uh, Stockholm Syndrome? Um, you know, the you thing that I is, is I think it's stupidity. I think it's stupidity. I think it's stupidity. I think it's past the point of
5: Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> Because the thing mm. of it is, is with Stockholm syndrome, you you have the person isolated with with their victimizer. So they don't have outside mm. people telling them that this is not right. You know, this is this person is victimizing you. This is not normal. The person is harming you. That's usually where where the foundation of Stockholm syndrome. They build up this affinity, um, you know, and, and until someone comes in and they do cognitive restructuring and show that person that this is, this is not normal. You should not feel this way about your victim either. And then eventually they come out. Black people have more than enough right now. We have more than enough information. We have hundreds of years of of examples, but we're still choosing to do the same thing. We're nobody is making black people attack each other in favor of the system that they're complaining about. Nobody's making black people do that. No, Nobody's right. making Nobody black we
1: trained people. to do that.
5: Okay, but the thing of it is, is, just like you're trained, you can be untrained. Like, how long are we going to use this? And, and I get that it's not an excuse, mm. it is a reason, but you can only use one reason for so long. Because, again, right. you, you, yes, you're being, you, you're being conditioned, but you have people countering that conditioning. That wasn't the case right. before you had social media. People are countering the conditioning and telling black people this is not normal. And all they do is fight to be, to maintain the very system that they claim they're victimized by. It makes no sense.
1: Yep. Yeah, I also understand yeah. that, you know, some people, unfortunately they can't, you know, be reversed back to, you know, Basically, that mindset. It's just some people are just going to, you know, continue to have that mindset until the day they die. Some are capable, and just some are not. Unfortunately, that you know, that's the reality of our
2: community. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know what? Like, I, 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 I agree with. I actually agree with both of y'all, both of y'all positions because this is my thing. Ain't nowhere in the world. No government agency or police agency or law enforcement is going to take a a barrel of guns and drop them in the white community because they know that those white men in that community will take them guns and make a damn militia. You see what I'm saying? So even if they are dropping guns in 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 black areas, they can only set traps based on your predictable behavior. They know that the likelihood of us taking those guns and using them on each other. Is greater than us taking those guns and using them against them you see what I'm saying so at a certain point we do have to look at at our own behaviors that we engage in that lead to our uh, our victimization like that that is real you know that's a that's a that's a entirely different uh, perspective that I hadn't really thought about when 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 discussing this topic you see what I'm saying, Cynthia? Do you, I know you don't? You don't necessarily buy into um, the violence, you know, the rates of violence in Chicago either, do you?
5: I don't. I I do believe that mm. there is some violence, but I but the way that they're portraying it to be, I I don't because again, I've been to Chicago. Of course, I don't live in Chicago, but I have been there, and and you know, the thing of it is, mm-hmm. is that I, from what I've seen, it's not the war zone that um, they make it out to be. And even besides me being there, it's like, okay, well, if there's all these murders that are happening every time there's a holiday or a weekend, and you can't seem to find, you can tell us that they're gang members, but you Hmm. can't go arrest these gang members, that doesn't make any sense to me. So either you're too incompetent to be detectives, or you're orchestrating these things.
0: Right. And so I I don't
5: believe that it should make sense
1: right because also I, I spoke with a um I spoke with a gang member and they said that Chicago has not had a gang war since the 90s so whatever we see mm-hmm. in the news is not what is real everything is no. isolated incidents it's not a gang war that that's is the propaganda that the media right that's the propaganda the media wants to put out there like i say give them a reason to invoke martial law in Chicago, give give them a reason to do something so we can get all these people out of this neighborhood, because to be quite honest, they want to take it back. They want to take that whole area back and they want to push all the blacks in the suburbs. That is their plan. And a lot of people don't understand that. Sure. It may not look like much now, but give it 20, 30 years, Chicago is going to be whitewashed. That's just basically what it's mm. going to be.
2: Right. Right, so so it's a, it's a it's a type of urban renewal you you're saying. You yeah, know, it's, that's it's a what that's what this create. is all about. Right, because right. I know and like even after even Hurricane Chicago. Katrina, Maguire, go
1: it's not even in Chicago. They're doing it in Detroit. They're doing it in Baltimore. All of this, all of the cities of these states. That's what they're trying to do. Mm. They're trying I to actually, whitewash actually, yeah, They're trying to Detroit. whitewash all the cities. Right. I actually go ahead Detroit, and.
3: Yeah. It's and it's like there's so many abandoned buildings in Detroit. It's ridiculous. Abandoned homes. Um, mm-hmm. It was eerie. It was actually very eerie for me because right? I didn't. I I've always heard about, you know, what it looks like. But when I actually saw it with my own eyes, I'm like, yeah, this, this is. There's a bigger plan to this. That's not normal.
1: I've never,
5: right. I've never
3: been to a city and seen so many abandoned buildings before,
1: ever. Right, mm. and can you imagine yeah, right. what white people can do when they they buy up all of those buildings at wholesale price? We right. talking yeah. pennies on the dollar. I work in mortgage, so I know they be buying up mm. all of these properties. They buy them all up, get loans, fix them up, and then they put a big, huge price tag on it. They made at least like I would say, what well, like a thousand percent profit. They're profiting off mm. of you know. Basically, these areas being run down, you know, basically being abandoned. It doesn't matter. They're buying up all of these Mm -hmm. properties. They're trying to whitewash everything. Just like, for instance, in Chicago, um, they had a project, um, Cabrini Green. I don't know if you guys heard of it. Their whole plan, because it was so close to downtown Chicago, it did not look, it wasn't a good look. So their whole plan is, okay, we need to get rid of this area. They got rid of it. They built beautiful townhouses. They so-called promised the residents of the projects that, okay, well, you can get one of these townhouses, but, yeah, you have to pass a drug test, and you can't have any felonies, no, even no misdemeanors. Now, can you imagine how many of our people in the project don't have a record and not on some type of drug? Yes. Yeah. They're, they did the same yes.
3: thing in New York, too. They did the same thing in mm-hmm. New York with all these high requirements and the credit score has to be this, and, you, you know, that's a problem with it, with everyone, right. for the most part, But the people, thing
5: of it is, what's stopping black people from doing those things, though? See, no, that's, you're, that's you're, no, you're the thing. It's yeah. like we, we, because they do the same thing. Like, I've heard that people, black people do the same thing with, you know, um, these immigrants and Mexicans and those and Asians and Arabs, they'll say, oh, they're going to all these places and they're buying up all these businesses and then they're employing their own. Why aren't you doing the same thing, though? Right. Like, black people <laughs> have wealth. They have body they're power, but it. they they're they're doing concerned. It. Right. That's <laughs> the thing. It's like, these are things that black people could be doing. Nobody's stopping them. <laughs> but they choose no. not to. And but yes, I, I we know a lot of mm. well,
3: when does that change? Yeah, there's a lack right. of foresight, though. I don't think
0: that um,
3: we look at the long-term uh, effects of things, and we don't need that long-term goal. So when they come in with all these requirements. Everyone's just thinking about the next day, like, well, damn, I can't get back. They're not thinking long-term, like, I need to make sure this is in order, that's in order, so that when they come mm-hmm. back with the same plan that they've used quite a few times, I have some sort of resolution for it, or I know how to go around. People are not thinking long-term. That's the problem because when you're if you're in that victim mentality, you're just in that mentality. It's like you're literally in a pool of, of confusion, you know, so you're not, you're mm-hmm. not looking at what's really going on around you and all the changes around you. So before you know it, when you finally snap out of it or somewhat snap out of it, it's like everything done changed around under your feet, you know, because if you go to Manhattan, New York right now, it, I mean, and, and even the Bronx is starting to Brooklyn. I mean, I've never seen so many Caucasian people in, in New York like that. You know, it, it's different because people weren't really paying attention. They were just thinking about their day-to-day life. They weren't thinking about what was happening around them, you know. So that's the problem. Right. It's just it's that it's that whole victim mentality again. It's it's coming up again for why people are not paying attention. They're they're just thinking about their everyday struggle. They're not making and setting plans.
1: Yeah,
2: that's the vital Yes, yes, that's true.
5: And it's more than than it is definitely the lack of foresight because I I you know me and Amiri have said that several times in our videos. Like just right now. Mm-hmm. With me saying that black people don't understand cause and effect relationships, we don't learn from the past, we don't, we don't have the ability to recognize patterns, you know, there, mm. there are things, you should be, certain things in life you should be able to predict. I mean, because really, right. they're not doing anything different than what they've been doing. But, the, but we, when we look to the past, we want to cling to um, methods that don't work. Like, we're still trying to pray racism away. We're still trying to wait for Jesus <laughs> to get it. We're still That's waiting true. for white people to wake up one day and decide they don't want to benefit from racism. It's like, those are things, yeah. you, you still got people out here talking about, let's create mixed people to end racism. You got people out here right. saying, well... Civil rights leaders, they were all with white people, as if somehow we've gotten somewhere. It's like, yes, they were with white people, and maybe that's what's stopping you from progressing as a group of people, because you can't fight white supremacy and love it at the same time. So we're just not, we're Mm -hmm. not learning. This is about a learning disability more so than Stockholm Syndrome.
3: You're right Everyone's waiting for Jesus
5: <laughs> Everyone's waiting for his, his arrival And
3: his return you know? and, and it's
5: not important to black people Let's just be real Based off black people's actions They don't want liberation Black people don't want liberation I don't think black people ever wanted liberation Truth be told And if you look at their their actions You can substantiate that with their actions over time Because black, people's never, black people have never fought for liberation Ever Not once and so that's why we're not getting liberation and we're still doing the same things today. We're looking at their failures. We're looking at the failures of our um, civil rights leaders and of our um, ancestors before us. And we're trying to, we're, we're looking at them um, at failures and seeing them as victories. Mm. Nobody's, doing yeah. no, nobody's doing that. Nobody's doing that. Like you can see when, when white people take an L they don't repeat the same thing. They go and study it and see, how do we take this L? Black people keep to take exactly. L's L and employing the same methods that got them that L to begin with.
0: <laughs> so true. Still exactly, publicly that, that, demeaning their people. Do, still
5: publicly advocating for their oppressors. Still putting the white community mm. over their own. Still hollering not all white people. Over the past you 100 years... <laughs> Have white people told you they've changed? No. So even if it wasn't all of them, there's not enough of them for you to even validate saying that.
2: Right. Exactly.
5: Still cloning. Exactly. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, there's a a a problem with people
3: taking action, too. Like, I, I think that's a big problem. Like, no one wants to actually work on solutions. Everyone, everyone right, talks you know about solutions, but they don't want to actually put any type of motion in place to do anything about right. what's the situation there. And, and there's things that we can do.
2: But that's the, the thing, thing, thing like we have like so You know, the enemy of, the enemy of progress is, is apathy. And, and as it stands right now, you know, as, as a people, we are wholly given over to apathy. And we are individualized. You see what I'm saying? Because as I stated, we're the most, we're the most Americanized group. We've bought, we've bought into Americanism harder than white people. You see what I'm saying? And that is part of, that's part of our problem. You see what I'm saying? Uh, and, and so when, when, when that is, you know, the disposition of, uh, of, of, of the black community, which is really a black disunity, then uh, inaction ensues. You, know, you see what I'm saying? Like that something that like Sister Leone just said is absolutely true. We have no real uh action taking place that will bring forth um you know any any types of any types of solutions. You see what I'm saying? I mean we have individuals right now on uh on social media who think who really think that, you know, their documentary series are a type of revolutionary act. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> They
5: they really think that are they're being and and they're they're in one breath talking about building up the black community while promoting interracial unions when historically you can see all evidence that the only thing that does is breed out black people, so the reality right. of it is is we're not getting anywhere because we don't want to. But the only thing, and mm. I would challenge anybody to do it, and I think, Amir, you just saw it because you told me that you have to go, you going back and forth with some female sw- swirlers. The fact that you even have right. to go back and forth with female swirlers is a problem mm-hmm. because why do we have to right. convince you that you shouldn't be dating your oppressors? Mm. Unless it's beneficial to you. And then they'll advocate for two things. One, when you ask them how has Christianity benefited them on a tangible level, they can't name one thing. How has interracial Mm. dating benefited them on a tangible level, can't mention one thing. But yet, these are the two things that black people fight the most aggressively for. The two very things (laughs) that they cannot list one tangible benefit to. Nobody would do that. There is not a group of people who would engage in interracial unions if it did not benefit them, especially if they're engaging in the unions with their oppressors. They wouldn't engage in any any religion if it didn't benefit them. Because understand that Christianity only benefits white supremacy.
0: Right.
5: And I even talk about the whole thing. And it seems globally, like I was watching 90, an episode of 90 Day Fiance, and there was a dude in the Philippines, a mm-hmm. black man went out to the Philippines, he went to church with this Filipino chick. Now, you can see how impoverished and decimated that city is, completely poor right. and impoverished, but they're spending five hours every single day worshiping and praying to a white Jesus. Mm. Notice how the most impoverished people are the most religious, and the ones who don't take religion seriously at all are the most um, most striving.
0: Still haven't learned.
5: (laughs) The people still have not learned, though. We don't have time to exhaust our energy in things that are not beneficial, yet we only exhaust our energy in things that are not beneficial. And we fight for them. Mm -hmm. We argue over them. We divide each other over them. We attack and separate over them. This is this is on us at this point. It's 2018. We have a a, a huge library of historical cases to to, to mm. draw from. We're not doing it.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, let me ask you this, Sam. Do you think there is? Um, do you think there's any hope? You know what I mean. Not like, for the
5: majority of us. I used to, but not for the majority of us. Mm. I don't. I, honest, I honestly think it's hopeless. I think that the majority of black people are going to be exterminated. I really do, and and unfortunately, I think that's right. mostly going to be black men. Right. Mm-hmm. I,
2: I I would I, I would um I would agree with that. Now let me ask let me ask you something because I know I have three sisters on on right now, and that's uh, Leonie, Cynthia G, and uh, Wendy, who just called in. Uh. I know that two out of three of the sisters have experienced some type of, you know, sexual, you know, sexual assault. What are some of the things that we can do to to begin to protect, um, you know, our most valuable asset, and that is our little girls? Like what are some of the things that you guys think we can do and some of the measures we can take to uh, bring down the astronomical rates of Sexual abuse Of uh, black women In the black community
5: I think it starts with the mindset And the way we look at sexual assault Because just like we were mm. on there Me and Cheryl were on there Talking about the way that even black women Trivialize sexual assault And you know how many, mm. how many Black mothers do you know Have had their children come to them And tell them that their mates has sexually assaulted them, and they'll they'll punish their, the child for, for telling them.
0: Mm-hmm. That you're,
5: you're not protecting. If you don't even believe your child, you can't protect them from sexual assault. You don't even believe them. You're willing to put this man over your child? We're sitting mm-hmm. up here talking about what she should have done. She shouldn't have worn that skirt she was looking for, making excuses as to what this woman did or what this girl did. Like, even in the situation with Charlemagne, they was like, oh, she's 15. She shouldn't have been going to a house party. No, he shouldn't have been raping her at 15.
2: Right. Exactly.
5: Hmm.
2: Exactly. I can't believe people were saying that. And yeah, I would in say, the century. Yeah, go ahead, Remy.
1: I would say, um, always pay attention to your kids. Not even like Mm. verbally, like your kids, they will, you know, present behaviors in regards to if something has happened to them. Mm. Because a lot of people, I would say, do not pay attention to their children. Like, for instance, their grades could be slipping, or, you know, they could, you know, do, I would say, because I, I hear that like a lot of kids when they go through sexual assault, you know, they probably do, I would say, you know, start having sex with, I would say, peers of theirs. They could be, you know, become promiscuous. Um, it's, it's like a, a host of things. And also I would say watch who you bring your kids around at the same time. And I understand that, you know, it could be, you know, friends and family, things like that, but we all have to be real here. The, vic- the most, more, the more likely person to victimize a child is somebody that they know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it is more likely within your own family. So I would say definitely right. do that, boys and girls, it doesn't matter. You know, I just think that we, you know, all need to keep a tighter rein on our children because, you know, we can't be all free, you know, you know, willy nilly, let them go with people's houses, things like that. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a different
2: it's something that we that I think doesn't get talked about when we talk about you know sexual assault and abuse and stuff like that. What what happens when a child is sexually assaulted or abused by another child? Sounds know like, I talked about I talked about that something mm-hmm. that you know when I walked in on my on my sister, you know, and she was and the girl was a little bit older than her too, so. I mean, I guess that would qualify. I'm, I'm not, I'm not really sure. You know what I'm saying? But I do know that that these sexual traumas are prevalent in the black community, and they do need to be dealt with. Um, you know, from a, you know, just from a holistic standpoint. You know what I'm saying?
5: Well, right. I will say religion is the culprit because a lot of um, hmm. black parents won't even teach their children about sex because they think it's going against Christianity. So it's like you're sitting hmm. here. Not like my, my mom didn't teach us anything about sex, really. I don't remember any and, and nor did did were we ever taught that another person should not be um violating your private spaces. Like we, right. we we never discussed that and a lot of black parents don't discuss it. Actually a lot of religious people don't um express it even outside the black community because I worked with a, a Muslim chick and she had her little uh, her kids in American schools. But she said she refused to talk to them about sex because it went against her religion. And I said, well, you mm-hmm. might want to start talking to your kids about sex because they go to school with American white people who are very sexual. And they're, either they're going to teach your kids about sex or you're going to teach them because nobody mm-hmm. cares about their Muslim religion. Bottom line is those white girls in that school will be done to turn their daughter out. Uh, and have her sex making <laughs> bathroom. Stop it. It's like, that's, you uh, that's true. Man. You have to have
3: that open dialogue with your children, like, all the time. Mm. All the time.
0: Mm-hmm. Turn, turn
3: off the television as much as possible because, whether we like it or not, the television is a brainwashing tool, especially for young children, you know? Um, you, mm. you have to have that conversation with them, even though it may seem uncomfortable and you're like, oh, they're too young believe me, they're getting it, whether they're going to school or whether they're around Mm -hmm. their friends, their family members, they're getting that information, television, the Internet, you know, because a lot of children are on the Internet now, things pop up. You have to have that dialogue with them. Like if someone does this or says this, then you do this. Like you have to tell them. You can't pretend that it's not happening because it's uncomfortable or you, you feel like you're tainting them. The world that we're living in, it's better for you to give them some sort of heads up. Because if you don't give them a heads up, they mm-hmm. are not going to know what to do. You know, in the, like you said, Amiri, with, with your sister, she probably was just in the midst of it. She she might not have even been thinking about what was, what's going on or, mm-hmm. or, or what can happen in the future. She, she's just in the midst of it because children don't really know better. They're just doing whatever. Another child approaches them and they just do whatever. But if you don't, if you don't give them that that instruction, like okay, if they grab you here, they do this, do that, you know, they don't really know because they're not mentally developed
0: to even know that
3: it's a problem, and they don't even realize that, you know, what the effects that it can play mm-hmm. out in the long run. They don't know, they don't know. So right. I, I think Cynthia is right with the whole thing of with dialogue. You have to tell your children, and and, and it's, right. it's sad, but it, it, it's, as soon as they can understand English. You may have to start saying to them, if someone does this, do this. Don't let someone do this. Don't go here. Don't do... you know, I feel like that's a problem. Like, I think a lot of us are not monitoring mm. our children, you know, because uh-huh. we want the freedom because monitoring takes a lot of time and effort. But it, you know what? It's going to pay off in the long run. You have to monitor your children. You have to watch them. You have to pay attention to what they're pulling up on the phone if they're using your phone. You have to pay attention to what they're pulling up on the computer, you have to put blocks on your right. computer so that certain things maybe may be, you know, if you can prevent it from popping up, you know, you have to right. do that. That's that's a duty of yours. If you want to see that mm-hmm. your child succeeds and that they, you can somewhat eliminate or reduce the chances of them suffering any type of trauma, that conversation has to happen. Right.
2: right. Because, you know what, that's something that was happening a lot, too, where, where a lot of girls were being lured, um, you know, into the into the clutches of a, of a lot of these uh these sexual predators, you know what I'm saying? On um, like even even when we like even when we start talking about um you know the human trafficking that goes on, you see what I'm saying? Like a, a like a lot of that does dis- disproportionately affect um the black community, you know what I mean? I think I, I forgot what the stats are, but we have an astronomical amount of black women that are missing. You see what I'm saying? That that can't even be accounted for, and nobody is even talking about that. You know what I'm saying? Like nobody mm-hmm. is, is mentioning, you know, that that reality. You see what I'm saying? And so, uh, you, you know, it's it's um, the victimization of of black people. Um, you know, is it, very real. And the unfortunate thing is, and this and this is what Cynthia was just speaking to is that a lot of times. We, we tend to victim you know, we tend to victimize ourselves. You know what I mean? And um part of what needs to happen in my view is we do need, um, you know, a cultural shift and it's one it's one where you know, we we, we shift from being combative with each other when it comes to when it comes to the you know, the issues of our victimization, and we start you know being more understanding and more empathetic to the challenges that that black women face and that black men face. And you know hopefully if, if we're able to do that in any real way, we can begin to you know to form a real a real collective and, and a real cohesion uh, that can actually serve to, to you know to foment some type of progress for us as a group. You see what I'm saying? But so, so long as, as the opposite of that is the reality, then we're going to be, you know, we're going to continue to be um, undermined and uh, a subverted and subjective group. Cynthia, you were about to say
5: something? Yeah, and I was going to say that if we're going to change, um, you know, shift the culture specifically in order to protect, you know, the women and, and, and children from sexual assaults, we need to shift the mm. mentality towards it because a lot of men specifically right. don't see sexual assault as sexual assault. They, they either dismiss right. it or they see it as having sex. And it's like there's a difference between having sex and somebody raping you. <laughs> and so mm. if they're not even seeing right. sexual assault, then, like, I was watching, because did you guys see the Ariana Grande situation with the, with the bishop? Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. we were actually talking about that earlier. Yeah,
0: yeah right. I
5: earlier. was I was listening to one of voices to voices take on it, and it just disgusted me, and I had to turn because he was like, "Oh, I didn't." He was like, "Oh, well, they said that she he groped her titty, but she didn't even really have a titty there. Really? Are you are you kidding me? Like the the, the man was <clears throat> obviously groping and massaging her titty. Okay, so the thing right. that... And it's like I'm not one of the ones who's gonna see, especially with a white woman, sexual some kind of sexual inappropriateness where there is none. But it was quite obvious this man was doing everything he can to get to the little bit of titty that she did have. Okay, let's just be so real. real. <clears throat> the, the, the dude was doing it. I saw the video, <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me! If nobody, if, if you don't see it, it's because you don't want to see it. And I you and I think that. that a lot of men, huh. Do you think he searched for it? You said that you think that he purposely did it. Yeah, based off of what I saw, it looked like he purposely did. it. And and I know there's Mm. a thing with pastors and being overly sexual and getting the women stupidly—I don't know how they're being fooled—to do these sexual things under the guise of God. Like I think there was a a theme where (laughs) there was there was a a old story from some years ago where these pastors were telling these women that they needed to get naked and like I think <laughs> it had to do with something with his sperm or something to get them closer to God mm. and there's literally oh an image of a bunch of black women naked on a beach in the doggy oh, wow. position right. with so he actually convinced them to right. do it
3: and they did it
2: oh
3: my Man. god wow yeah,
2: you'll be surprised what religion you know what religion can get, get people to do you know <laughs> you no, know, it's, it's crazy, but um. I'm not thinking about, what you know, I don't want you
0: to do that.
2: Let's say that again. What well, was he? Was he
0: purifying them? Well, why? Why did I want them? them to do that? Huh? That's what <laughs> I'm wondering. He was telling them he was going to purify them or
2: that.
3: something. I'm wondering what he was saying to them. That's so strange.
2: Yeah, I I, rem- I remember seeing that story. though. But there was a, you know, it was you know it was circulating on that. Facebook, <laughs> but you know it's. I, that, that That's a whole other topic for another day You know what I'm saying I guess we tired to ask, so Yeah and the pastor who accidentally
5: <laughs> uploaded his sex tape And then lied and said it was his kid It's like you oh, know wow. that you would say Oh I didn't hear about that <laughs> 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 yeah. What he uploaded
0: his sex tape <laughs> It
5: was on a zip drive And he accidentally pulled it out and he, cause he I think he was trying to pull up Some um, some slides for the sermon and ended up uh, showing his whole dick. It wasn't tall either. I'm just saying. It <laughs> wow. wasn't tall either. <laughs> on film with
0: a woman. And then I <laughs> say, oh, we didn't put that on
5: it. Stop it. Your sons are yeah, not putting yeah. their porn on your flag to drive. Stop it. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. He said, he, he, he stole it on the show, Why huh? You
3: say that? Why would you <laughs> throw your child under the bus? Why would you do that?
2: I, to say, I guess he figured it was better. Y'all want this money to keep raising and then you go along with it. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. And the woman that's there keep with her
5: legs all raised up and open, and his big dick is all over every, Everything every <laughs> <y'all crazy. laughs> Terrible. <laughs> oh
2: man. well look, I know I, yeah, I, I appreciate y'all. Uh, 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 I got I got to end the show because it's about to end. But you know I appreciate I appreciate the you know the callers and listeners. We had a few listeners in the air tonight. Since you know, it's always a pleasure you know to hear your insight. Um, I want to appreciate you know appreciate all the callers. And Leoni, sister Leona, we'll do it again. Um, you know, we'll do it again next week. Make Black America Great Again or Die Trying. That has been this exactly. broadcast of the Great Liberators uh, Radio Show.
1: Bye. Thank you for listening to The Great Liberator, hosts Amiri Brown and Kenya White. Until next time.